I can still viscerally remember some nights walking home from something, doing something, and people out on their balconies listening to the radio. So you can hear them on the balconies, like Balconville, they call it in Montreal, where the, the fans who weren't at the game were sitting on their balconies and you can hear the radio wafting through, you know, like the sort of very sticky warmth of summer. And I can clearly remember that you're hearing the crack of the bat uh, on the on the radio in French too. It's a completely different experience, and the excitement that they had for a good three or four months before that strike in 1994. What's up, bucketheads? Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to episode number 72 of the Baseball Bucket List podcast. I'm your host Anna Di Tommaso, and each week on the show, I speak with a different baseball fan about their favorite memories what's left on their baseball bucket list, and what the game of baseball means to them. This week, I had an absolute blast catching up with an old friend of mine from South Florida, Charles Westcott. Charles was born and raised in Montreal and, of course, grew up as an Expos fan. After spending time in Florida and watching the Expos franchise move to Washington, D.C., Charles's fandom began to shift towards the local team, the Tampa Bay Rays. We get into a lot of things Tampa Bay, including the Rays' future, possible ballpark locations, and potential City Connect jersey ideas. We also discuss some great memories from Olympic Stadium, baseball movies, and the joy of baseball on the radio in French. It was so much fun to talk baseball with Charles. You guys are really going to enjoy this episode. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy some baseball banter with Charles Westcott. Charles, thank you so much for joining us today on the Baseball Bucket List podcast. How are things in beautiful, sunshiny Florida? They are fantastic, and thank you so much for having me on. I've been looking forward to this since your first episode, so glad to be here. Awesome. I'm so excited. So for for folks at home, Charles and I actually know each other from way back when I did a summer internship at an advertising agency that he was working at in Florida back in uh, the early 2010s. And so... (coughs) 20 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's been a while, but we just uh, spent some time catching up and we had a great conversation. And now we're ready to to rock and roll into baseball here. So, Absolutely. Can't wait for it. And you've had so many wonderful guests. It'll be nice change of pace to uh, see a casual fan for once. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's get started then. Tell us how it is that you became a fan of the game of baseball. Well, that goes way back. My uh, my mother put uh, all of my siblings and myself into the Big Brothers and Big Sisters organization. You know that organization? Right. Okay. So they had that up in Canada. And uh, my big brother was a season ticket holder at the Montreal Expos. And while we lived like out in sort of in the suburban area of Montreal. Uh, he worked in Montreal and he would take me on weekends that he could. So he we went to the big O in Montreal and not only did he take me to the expos and sort of introduce me to baseball, but he also introduced me to scorekeeping and the art of ticking. And I remember watching him doing it and then he'd show me and then I'd take over for an inning. Then he would talk about what I did right, what I did wrong. And to this day, I still remember that as a one of the core pieces of the reasons that I love baseball because there's so much strategy to each pitch and the changing of the players and the shifts and all these different things. And that's really where it started was the um, early 80s uh, Montreal Expos. Nice. So then I would, usually my follow-up question for that is, you know, are the X, Y, and Z still your team? But that's obviously not the case here unless you're a Nationals fan. So... 
I will admit that when they uh, were moved um, and became the Nationals, I will forever hate David Sampson and Jeffrey Loria for that. But anyways, uh, that's another story. Um, I did follow the Nationals for a while. And this was while I was here uh, in Florida, of course. And there was a coworker, Jay, and he loved the Rays. And he he was okay with the fact that I liked the Nationals because it gave him sort of a rival uh, in the office. But as my connection to the team sort of faded and just sort of seeing the the Rays and how they just went about their business. And then when they changed their logo uh, from the Devil Rays to the Rays, I really enjoyed that change. So I slowly started migrating uh, to them. And um, when they had the game 162, uh, 163, sorry, and the excitement that that just brought to the city, uh, it was impossible not to uh, feel part of the electricity. And that's where I started following them. And um, them being so close in spring training, and just really a local market, uh, even through the lean times in the you know, uh, the mid uh, teens there, it was still a fun team to watch. And uh, so I'm fully on with the Rays at this point. Yeah, the Rays have always been a fun team, even when they're not winning games. You know, they they have likable players, and that's always been one of my favorite mm-hmm. aspects of that team. And there's always a there's always a player who captures the community and who does well by the community and becomes this local superstar. And again, a small market team, very akin to Montreal and that, that those roots were solidly there as well. And what they can do to stretch a dollar and, and get a player and maybe get that young player who ends up being a superstar and unfortunately leaves, or they squeeze out that extra season out of that veteran that we all know. And, you know, get a bit of uh, get a bit of extra juice for that season. So it's very similar in that way that the Expos worked as well. Yeah. So when you go to DC, I don't know if you've ever been up there, but the ballpark there, you know, if you walk the concourse, there's all this history behind the franchise and everything. And I just remember what was so weird about it to me was that they've gone full in on the the Washington Senators, which mm-hmm. was not Montreal, which is where oh. the team came from and so I was so I was so befuddled by that like because the senators are now the Texas Rangers and um I always thought that that was so strange that they they just they were like close your eyes pretend it didn't happen (laughs) you know those caps that everyone's wearing right now those exposed caps yeah don't worry about them Right. That is a very, uh, very interesting part of the history and the way they sort of clung to it. I remember the first season that they opened there and I didn't know who the uh, senators were. And I had to do research and find out. I was like, oh, and then they became the Rangers. I was like, oh, OK. Huh. All right. Well, I mean, sort of the Expos were this transient team in their last season. They were playing half the season in, I think, Puerto Rico. And so they were just this you know, twisting in the wind and the uh, basically a ward of the state uh, of MLB. And it was very odd trying to even be a fan like how could you even be a fan of you know this is ultimately going to be ending anyway so and you know the first year that they were there in washington they had a great season and that sort of made it easier for me to sort of still latch on to them and everyone loves a winning team and but like i said the 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 pull from the rays was strong and steady and uh and my daughter loves the rays my son really isn't that big of a sports fan but um, she's all in on the Rays as well, and she loves the experience. It's fantastic to, at, at that ballpark. How often do you get up to the trap? Because, I mean, you're – is that, what, like a two-hour drive, 90 minutes for yeah. you? Yeah, probably about a two-hour drive. Um, go at least once a year. Uh, we went two year, twice in one year. The first time I was – of course, we didn't go in the last two years, but we went this past uh, Star Wars Day, actually. Um, I went up there. 
And the last time uh, we were there for twi- for two games was in 2019. I went up with a friend and then another one went up with a uh, promotion through one of our suppliers, like from work. And uh, we had the box experience, which was fantastic. And uh, But the other one was even better because you're amongst all the people that's going crazy and stuff like that. So it's a great atmosphere, very good atmosphere. Do you still score the game there or is that something yes. you do? Okay. Oh, yeah. 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 Did you yeah. teach uh, your daughter? You said she's a she's a Rays fan. Does she know how to keep she, score? Yeah. Um, she watched. She I don't think that's her necessarily her thing. Yeah. Uh, she liked the experience and sort of watching it. And I, I would think that, you know, after the seventh or eighth inning, unless it was like lots of scoring, it does become boring. But like, as I said, if you're scoring the game, there's never a dull moment, you know, especially in a low scoring game because it's even more nail biting. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So I think I'm the only one in the, in the house that will score a game at this point. <laughs> yeah, that's OK. <laughs> the trop is where I learned to score a game. My dad taught yeah. me in uh, at Tropicana, which is weird because I grew up a baseball fan, too. But he just I guess he knew how to do it. And then he got away from it for a while. And so I never picked it up from him until we had those season tickets that one year. And I was like, what are you doing, Dad? And he's like, I'm scoring the game. And so he still will. I'll, if we catch a game together, you know, sometimes I'll get I'll get handed the book as he runs up for beer or whatever. But nice. the sacred book. Yeah. One of the best things about baseball. It is. It really is. And it, it makes the game more real because yeah. you're like having to pay attention and you're looking at the bullpen and who's going to come in next and looking at the opposition team and lineup. Oh, we got a couple of lefties coming in here. You know, I kind of like it. It's, it's a completely different plane. Uh, that's what I love about baseball. Yeah. So do you score in pen or pencil? Are you, are you all in or do you leave oh, room for I'm mistakes? In pencil. <laughs> <laughs> I think I only had a pen the first game that we did it. No, it was the second game. Cause it was the, uh, the, the, uh, when we went up with the, uh, the company that took us and they only had pens and, I think I made a mistake in the second box. I was like, oh, well, there we go. <laughs> My kingdom for a pencil. <laughs> nice. So, okay, someone who is still local to Florida and went through the experience of losing a team in Montreal, do mm. you have kind of like a little bit of, you know, like post-traumatic with what's going on, the talks of moving the team away from the St. Pete, Tampa Bay area? Or kind of, I'm so curious to hear your take on this. So it's very interesting you bring this up because when I thought this was a pipe dream and it was probably about three years just before COVID hit that um, I'll keep an eye on the Montreal Gazette, like the local, the paper. And there was a report from one of the reporters who covered the Expo's beat. And uh, he had an article one day about um, the potential for MLB to bring Montreal back. Because they had a uh, spring training game at the Montreal at the at the Big O, and it was like this fantastic. It was like full. I mean, the Big O was like fifty fifty two thousand people, and it was full. It was between the Blue Jays and I'm not sure who the other team was, and the signs that were there, um, like bring the Montreal Expos back, the whole bit, and that apparently kicked off excitement. And so there was grumblings about, oh, would Molson get back into the game to to get the stadium, and so the the tremors at that point started to talk about the Expos coming back. And then when um, they floated the idea of split seasons between the Rays and the Expo and Montreal, I mean, I was floored. I was driving when I heard that in my sports, uh, my sports podcast, I listened to in the morning. I couldn't believe what I heard. I was like, are you kidding me? This, what, 
irony at this at this point <laughs> is seeing my my new local team being split seasons with Montreal. I was like, what is going on? And it was exciting because I would I knew that like and this you know I know you have a a section coming up there about uh, memories, but seeing the 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 city uh, in Montreal during the 1994 run, the excitement that was there across the entire city with banners and flags and all this stuff, the excitement. I would have I would have wanted that for the the fans of baseball in Montreal because it's such a great feeling of having that home team having success and would they be able to look past the fact that it's only for half a season I think so because it's it's still exciting so it was very uh, the irony was very thick uh, the excitement was there um, but ultimately I, I didn't think it was going to work and I don't think it, I think they've taken it off the table I think MLB has just said it ain't going to work that's that's a pipe dream but yeah it was certainly very very odd i actually uh emailed the the sports writer um because he both and i uh have a visceral disdain for david Sampson and jeffrey loria for taking him away and uh he uh he sort of expanded upon what he was talking about and everything so it was a cool connection in that sense but um it's uh it's all for naught well do you think that that tampa bay that the tampa bay area will get to keep the rays what i mean what's your feeling with that i do yeah. i really do i think that the uh the, the success of the team and they're in the thick of the playoffs right now. I mean, they're in the, uh, in the wild card. Um, the mayor, I think the mayor of St. Pete had just sort of extended another opening talks for stadium discussions, mm. which is the big thing. And they're running out of time because their lease is up in, uh, I think it's 2028, but they are, they have to have something in place by 2025. And if you don't have a plan for what they're going to do in 2024, you got to start building in 2023 and well, 2023 is next year. So time is coming close. And I, I think that the having that caliber of team locally, I think is worth it. And I'm really hoping that they don't lose it. I was talking to one of my friends about it, talking about when the stadium leases up and he was like, he's like, that's only like five years from now. That's basically next Tuesday, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that's exactly. It. Yeah, yeah. It's, it seems like it's, it's, it seems far away. Like, tangentially but when, yes. i mean like you're right if you start working backwards on the timeline it's like okay mm -hmm. let's go yeah. so um yeah and they're sitting on a gold mine of land in that area that that part of st pete is just exploding and whether or not they can tear it down or not i mean they've done wonderful things to make that yeah. uh, fan friendly um but uh, the parking apparently i mean when we went up there uh in may uh, the second secondary lot is just this empty lot and you could just see like a you know two or three sky rises of condos just right there and but that's all still part of the uh the uh, stadium development area so yeah time is coming uh, but i i honestly believe that i think they're gonna something's gonna work and it's either gonna be on, on one side of the bridge or the other and they'll still have the rays will still be here yeah i hope so i hope so i think i have a tendency to think that they'll they'll move it further north which would be bad for you because it just adds time mm -hmm. But I think it would be, you know, better for fans to to fill the park. So I guess right now it's wait and see. But I was curious to know your thoughts on that because I get asked all the time and I'm like, I don't know. I haven't lived there in a decade. So, yeah, there's I, I agree with you. I think that the to be on the Hillsborough side, the other side of the bridge, which is more the corporate area, there's a couple of spots that people constantly bring up that could be redeveloped. Um, and Jeffrey Vinnick, the owner of the um, the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, he's got a good hand in that as well, and he's a super promoter, and and he loves the fact that the Rays are there, and his business acumen and his I think he's got real estate too that could be perfect. But 
I think there's enough of a strong support locally with the Bucks, the Lightning. I mean, it was last year. It was Champa Bay. I mean, it was like literally yeah. the you know the Rays making it to the um, uh, to the uh, finale, and then the Bucks in the Super Bowl. Well, not last year, but the year before, and the uh, Bolts. So it was like this. It was almost like prideful that we could all be together. All these different sports, major league sports. It's very rare to have that. Yeah, I just remember too. This is so silly. Getting off the airplane and my dad picking me up as we were flying into Tampa for the first time. And, you know, he had said, we're moving as a family and, and all of this stuff. And we're driving by and there's a, a sign that says, like, uh, welcome to Tampa, home of, I think the the Bucks had just won the Super Bowl back in like 03 or something. Oh, yeah, two, oh three or right. something oh, two. like that. Yeah. yeah. And then... um I guess the Bolts had maybe won a Stanley Cup. Some, but I just, yeah. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I just remember thinking, like, oh, the Rays, that'll never happen. (laughs) Home of the Bucks and the Bolts. Oh, yeah. And the Devil Rays. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, But uh, look, they proved me wrong. Well, they haven't yet, but I'm hopeful sometime soon. So we'll see. But um, some of the young players they have, like a Rosarina and Franco and Dean, they they got a great core going there. Yeah. It's going to be exciting to watch for for many years to come, if if nothing else. So, yeah, I'm going to throw a question at you. Okay, you didn't know this one was coming, and okay. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how it's going to go, but we're, we'll just see. Are you familiar with the City Connect jerseys that MLB has done? No. Okay, no. so the premise is they are alternate jerseys designed around a keystone component of a community, right? So if you look at Washington, they have cherry blossoms on them. If you look at Boston, they look like marathon bibs. If you look at Colorado, they look like the license plates and things like that. Tampa Bay has not released theirs yet. So as a designer yourself and someone who's, who's spent time in the area, what do you think would be included on the Rays City Connect? Well, I can't say the Devil Ray. Because that's like a little animal. They still have that on their jerseys at some point. So I can't say that. Wow. Um, I just thought of that question like literally as we were talking. I was like, I'm just going to throw this at him and see how it goes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he flounders. (laughs) Um, The Sunshine Skyway Bridge. I think it's a very um, iconic part of the area. Uh, It's definitely St. Pete where they are. And it has a very uh, distinctive look to it. So I'd say the uh, Sunshine Skyway Bridge. Yeah, that's a good guess. That's a good guess. San Francisco did something like that with the Golden Gate. So it wouldn't uh-huh. surprise me if if they kind of mm-hmm. went that route. I think it'll be it'll be something like that, or they'll do um, they'll do like Cigar City, right? They'll go to the the tobacco uh, the tobacco um, heritage, I guess maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, in Ebor. That's right. That's yeah. right. Which is a potential uh, site location for the, exactly. the new park. That's so. one of the ones that yeah gets mentioned a lot. There's some spots down there, and that's you know you got touristy areas. I mean, I for the first time went up to, to Chicago. Sorry, not the first time. I went up to Chicago and drove by Wrigley, and I was stunned at where it was. At you know, um, coffee shop, restaurant, comic <laughs> book store. Oh, Wrigley Field. Yeah, and then you know, hardware store. I the fact that it was nestled right there totally lends itself to Ebor. When I saw that, I was like, "This is Ebor, uh, Ebor North." So that's a great that'd be a great location. Yeah, I think so too. I think it would be. I think it would do well there. But 
I guess like the biggest issue would be trying to find enough land for it, you know, enough parking in particular. The parking. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. The parking yeah. would be a huge thing. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but there's a couple of mills there that I think that are, uh, have been earmarked for development for apartments. I'm not sure where they're going along. And you can see them if you're going along the, uh, 275 or like the I-4 coming through, um, Tampa there. But yeah, there's, there's definitely some spots in there and it's tight and traffic wise. And that's already is a nightmare. That'd be another thing too, is the traffic getting in and out of there. People complain about trying to get across the bridge to go to St. Pete to see the games. Well, you could be asking for a problem getting out of that at uh, 10 o'clock at night after a game, you know, um, in that area, too. But those are all things they, the smarter people will take care of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not you and me, that's for sure. Exactly. <laughs> all right. I want to know, what is your favorite baseball memory? Um, You know, I thought about this and I alluded to it before. Uh, it was I was living downtown Montreal working. Uh, at an agency and living in the McGill ghetto, which is basically surrounding McGill, McGill university, all like the condos and apartments around there. So extremely downtown and the, you know, the Olympic stadium was several, you know, quite a few blocks east of there, but the, I can still viscerally remember some nights walking home from something, going something and people out on their balconies, listening to the radio game so you can hear them on the balconies like Balconville they call it in Montreal where the the fans who weren't at the game were sitting on their balconies and you can hear the radio wafting through you know like the sort of very sticky warmth of summer and I can clearly remember that you're hearing the crack of the bat uh, on the on the radio in French too it's a completely different experience and the excitement that they had for a good three or four months before that strike in 1994 um, was heartening, disheartening at one point, but also I think we went to maybe six or seven games in the two-month span in the cheap seats, and the place was absolutely packed and rocking, and you know, literally being the best team in baseball, and then having our hearts, hearts ripped out of our <laughs> out of our chests with with the strike. But I'll never forget that electricity, that emotion, and that excitement for a team uh, which was like stacked to the to the nth degree of of great players, and I'll never forget that. I, I can you it's almost like a movie scene the way you described it like it's almost kind of what it yeah, seems like that's what it was yeah that's what it was as you passed condo blocks you could hear various um you know um balconies playing the game and just people and you'd see like you wouldn't see anything you'd see maybe a cigarette you know like a, a red cigarette or someone's you know shoes on, off the top of the railing and you just hear the game playing in the background it's like oh chills absolute chills <laughs> Baseball is the only game you can see on the radio, is the the saying. And uh, wow, unless a wonderful thing, oh, unless you're listening to a broadcast in French, which you don't don't speak. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I there's a there's a movie, uh, well, several movies that I've seen people um, in the movies playing expos games, literally putting in tapes of, of classic games, and they're in the movie. It's part of the story. And uh, Roger Brulat was the was the announcer. And he had this way. I mean, you can t- talk about Dave Van Horn, all these, you know, Harry Carey, all these classic English-speaking um, uh, play-by-play um, announcers. He was the equivalent in French, and he just had this way of explaining it. So, being bilingual, I of course understood it, but um, it just gave this completely different and unique flavor to the area. And um, yeah, like I said, I'll never forget it. And it's that's that's a beautiful saying. Oh my gosh, I've never heard that before. Yeah, wow. I hadn't heard it. My friend. Um... 
my friend Jim Christopher, James Christopher, he he was the one who told me that. And I, I need to ask him. I need because I, I credit him with that all the time. And I'm I'm sure it's not his saying. I'm I'm pretty sure he's heard that from somewhere else. But yeah, he told me that and I was like, Oh, stealing that for sure. Yeah, stealing that. That's a oh yeah. Big time. <laughs> yeah. It's it's cool to hear the perspective of a Montreal fan because as as someone who you know was never really close to that team most people would have you believe that there are no fans there are no expos fans you know that that that's the reason that it didn't work and i think that's the same kind of narrative that's trying to be spun about the rays which is why we have to be vocal and let them know that there are dozens of us but <laughs> And dozens of us that show up at the games. Yes. <laughs> but it's cool to hear the perspective of like, you know, the the big O, like rocking and, and, and being packed and, and full of people. And yeah, 1994 was just a doozy. Like that just seemed to be the kind of straw that broke the camel's back. Oh, for sure. And it was the fire sale of 1995, yeah. spring training. Um, yeah. He had to get rid of, uh, you know, Larry Walker and... Uh, um, Pedro and all these players are just gone within two days of spring training for, you know, uh, a bucket of balls and a golf cart, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't obviously like that, but, you know, we got some players back, but it, that, that's it. It was gone. The nucleus was gone. And, uh, you know, the, the support for the team was very strong, but it was, you know, I even remember him saying that the GM at the time, it was, you know, it was great to see all the fans here, but it was too little too late. Mm. And that's some of the narrative you can say then about the Devil Rays or so the Rays is that, you know, to have that success, you need to have fans there and also corporate support. And that's one thing that, that the TROP does suffer from, from what I understand, at least. I'm not an expert, of course, but um, the corporate boxes just aren't amenable to, you know, dropping thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000, I guess, a year for a corporate sponsor. And the new stadium would account for that and concessions and all that kind of stuff. So there's definitely the economic side to it. And then there's the passion side to it. And then like fans like me of the Expos, I still have my last cap I ever bought is still here. And I'll never forget them. I'll never let them go. And I still see people walking around. I saw an Expos hat at, uh, up at uh, the Rays, Rays game in May. It's like... Wow, there's one. I didn't say anything because, like, okay, freak, <laughs> leave me alone. But uh, it was funny to see in the wild, like an Expos cap, you know, and that's the logo apparently is very popular. It still sells very well. Yeah. There's a nostalgia feel to it as well. But um, that's uh, th- those types of things that you can't really take away from the fans. You can take away the team, but you can't necessarily take away that passion. Yeah. I heard that, you know, every every year that the Texas Rangers open a new ballpark, there's been a shortened season. And 94 was the year that the ballpark in Arlington opened and of course the strike. And then in 2020, they opened Globe Life Field. Wow. Yeah. Where do you go? <laughs> yeah, I know. So blame everything on the Rangers. It's a, you know, it's what, it's what we do. So. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> yeah. Right. All right. So what's left on the baseball bucket list? Like what's that top item that you just really would like to check off? Well, it would be to visit the sets of all the baseball movies. So I remember watching uh, The Natural. It was probably one of the first baseball movies I ever saw. And um, I saw it shortly after The Black Stallion. Um, so going way back. And for some reason, well, I mean, it's a cool movie. I haven't seen it in a while. But I remember it being shot. Like just the, the visuals of that movie, The Black Stallion, were phenomenal. Then I saw The Natural uh, with... Um, 
uh, Robert Redford and his story and very deep. And I'm still trying to figure out that movie to, to this very day, but it was also beautifully shot. And, um, which is by the same uh, photographer as Black Stallion, as I mentioned that. Um, but those those locations became something that might be kind of cool to see those places. And then Eight Men Out, and I saw that. And then, of course, some of these fields are rep- reproductions and won't necessarily be seen. But, of course, Field of Dreams, uh, you name it. Um, what was the other one? It was uh, um, not The Sandlot, but which I've just recently seen, by the way. Um, the Rookie um, from oh. Texas, which, which was a great, great movie. So I'd like to visit the sites of where these baseball uh, stadiums represented either major league baseballs or uh, minor league baseball uh, stadiums and go and visit them. Yeah, that's cool. You just saw the Sandlot as in the movie or the movie set in in Utah? No, I just saw the movie for the first time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was, we were doing a show and uh, Pat had mentioned, he goes, you know, it's like the Sandlot. And I did not know what he was talking about. And he was like, you're kidding me. Canadians. Yeah. <laughs> he probably didn't say that too. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, it was it was released in the early 2000s, and I it was probably for at that point it was a kids movie, and I just wasn't in my wheelhouse for watching. Yeah. But I watched it, and it was fantastic. And James Earl Jones is in it. I mean, come on, Darth Vader. What do you want? Yeah, right. I have that was uh, that was a mini bucket list, so I I cleared that bucket list very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Tell folks a little bit about you have your own show. You've you've alluded to Star Wars a few times here, but I'm I know for a fact that we have listeners who are also Star Wars fans. So give us the uh, the overview of Conversations. Sure. So Conversations, it's uh, uh, me and Pat. So really good friend. We've been friends for over ten years at this point, twelve years somewhere around there, and. We uh, he loves Star Wars and so do I and he's like a huge Star Wars fan. I was a big Star Wars fan, uh, but I'm of the age of enough to have seen the original trilogy in theaters, so I'm uh, a bit up there in age. So I suffered through the Return of the Jedi and the dar- you know the dark times as everyone calls it between <laughs> um, the prequels and everything. So I sort of left the fandom, didn't leave it, but uh, I enjoy Star Trek as well, and he hates Star Trek. <laughs> but so he was much stronger, um, and we met one party that our wives are both nurses and it was a uh it was a holiday party and we sat across from each other he dropped a star wars reference i got it we started talking and from then on we just like talk star wars all the time and at one point i think it was kelly pat's wife said you know that's you guys should record this you know this is funny what you guys are talking about and and i think from their perspective it was like go talk about that like over there away from us in a microphone so we don't have to hear it sort of thing so it was a it was a way of getting us out the door but uh yeah, it was. Uh, that's what we do. Is our conversations are always about Star Wars, so it's conversations. It's just sort of when we wrote it, it was just natural, and that's what we do. We talk about topics. We're not necessarily a news-based Star Wars things. So we don't do like oh, the new Andor series is out. We do reviews. We just talk. We pick a topic each every two weeks and and go in depth on it. And then we'll obviously do movie reviews and stuff like that at one point. But we just find something that interests us, and then we talk about it for an hour or so. We do our own parody commercials, get friends of ours to help us record them, and just have a blast doing it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I'm not I'm not a huge Star Wars fan, but I've listened to a couple of shows and um, I get some of the references. And so <laughs> I but I enjoy it because you guys are you guys are great together. The banter and the 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 wordplay is just it's good. So if you are a Star Wars fan, you gotta check it out for sure. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Yeah. Where do people find you online if they want to follow along 
with uh, your baseball journey and also um, your Star Wars journey? Well, my baseball journey would be at my personal Twitter account would be uh, Charles Westcott. Um, I don't post there too often. And until I get on that uh, baseball bucket list, that's probably going to be sort of thin <laughs> on that side. Um, I was what you call I'd, I'd call myself what you call a casual fan uh, of baseball, where no matter where you enter or exit baseball, baseball is always there. And to the analogy of, of a scorecard, you can commit at any, uh, you know, you can keep track of the game. But the game never changes. And it's so awesome that it's there when you need it. And that's my relationship with baseball. So when I get back into that for the especially the bucket list is going to be there. I mean, I'm a I'm an avid fan listening to the games and following along. But um, for the Star Wars side, it would be uh, on Twitter would be Swation. So S-W-A-T-I-O-N-S on Twitter, uh, Conversations on Facebook and also Instagram. And uh, we just post about Star Wars and just have fun and try to keep the community positive. Yeah, that's great. The world needs more of that. So that's always a good thing. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I love what you just said too about the um, the way that baseball is, the game never changes, you know? So you can you can step away for a number of years and, and you come back and maybe the names are different or maybe they're the same now. Like maybe it's been that long that, you know, Vlad is back and, you know, Bichette <laughs> is there and, all of that stuff is kind of coming full circle, but the game itself is is still the same and it's still just so familiar and comfortable and just homey. It absolutely is. And it's never gets old and like, you know, they can tweak this and change the, the shift or make adjustments to the game itself, but it's always going to be nine innings and it's, you, you start off, you know, at zero, zero and you could have be at zero zero in the eighth inning and the or you can be ten nothing and the game can change in an instance. And that type of excitement uh is different than baseball. Uh, sorry, a bit different than hockey, which I also love. But uh baseball for me is something that I can I know I'm gonna have a good two, three hours of a strategy game. And like you said, like seeing Vlad Jr. and Bo Bichette and all of these sons of these players that I grew up watching. Uh, is extremely um, well aging in one in one sense, but also extremely exciting in another. But that's the cycle of baseball, and that's a fantastic point. Actually, it, it just brings it full circle. That hey, when you're ready for it, baseball is there waiting for you. It's one of the best things about it. It is. Yeah. So, Charles, I've had a blast talking baseball with you, catching up with you. It's been so much fun. I can't thank you enough for making the time to do this and and for joining us today. Well, it was an absolute blast, and I'm. So happy to see this wonderful story that you're building with all these fantastic guests that you've had and uh, talking baseball and finding that common language. And I'm, you know, so happy for you and can't wait for the next episode. And I can't wait to hear it. And that will wrap up this episode of the Baseball Bucket List podcast. Special thanks to Charles Westcott for joining us today and sharing those memories and stories. If this sounds like something you'd like to do, if you think you might like to be a guest on the show, head to baseballbucketlist.com slash podcast and fill out an application. I'd absolutely love to hear from you. While you're there, make sure to spend some time checking out the site. Sign up for a free membership, build your baseball bucket list, pin the ballparks you've visited on a map, and connect with other baseball fans. That's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next episode.